Hello and welcome to the Swift Coders Podcast, where each week we interview an amazing Swift developer about their experience with Apple's new open source programming language. We hear their stories, learn their tips and tricks, and try to leave you feeling inspired and empowered on your Swift Coder journey. I'm your host, Garrick, and today's guest is Andy Obusek. Andy is an iOS engineer at Warner Brothers Digital Labs in Philadelphia, as well as the associate editor-in-chief at raywenderlich.com. Welcome to the show, Andy. Hey, thanks a lot, Garrick. Good to be here. Yes, it is. It is very good. <laughs> I, uh, I went out last night and stayed out a little late, and I messaged you when I got home, and I was like, Andy, is there any chance we could start this a little later? And uh, But in any case, we started on time, and I am here, and I am bringing the energy today, Andy. You better believe it. Hey, well, I think we're in the same boat, so I was out pretty late last night. Um, actually, one of my neighbors for a surprise party converted their house to a casino, <laughs> and they, they hired this group of people that brought in all sorts of you know tables and fake money, and there was like prizes and Stayed up way too late, but I got young kids who were up at the crack of dawn, and I was I was there with a uh, ready with some donut holes for breakfast. <laughs> nice, I love donut holes. I saw some um, something on Twitter today that said, "If you love sleep, don't have children." I don't want to derail the conversation about whether or not to have children, but uh, I just thought that was funny. Well, you know, luckily my kids my kids are good sleepers. It's just that you know they're going to wake up at the same time pretty much every day. And it's, it's usually on the earlier side. <laughs> so you live in Philadelphia. So what, it must be a couple hours, three hours ahead. And is it cold over there right now? It's, uh, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, I'd say it's pretty normal November weather right now. It's in the fifties. Oh, that's cold. I live in sunny Southern California. That's cold for us. Yeah. It'll get down to the teens in the, you know, the, the heart of winter, but, but now it's, I don't know, for instance, I was out doing yard work earlier and I had a t-shirt and pants on. So we're tough. Right on. Okay. So a little bit about uh, why I wanted to have Andy on today. So I actually was approached by Ray Wenderlich um, to do like an ad read and I've never done an ad read before uh, on the history of this podcast. I've never sought out ads or anything like that. Um, but we've talked about Ray Wenderlich a lot on this podcast. We've talked a lot about it on the meet at my meetups and on this podcast. And so, yeah, they reached out. And um, so a little later, I'm going to be t- um, you know doing that that portion, the ad- advertisement portion. Woo-hoo! But I told um, the people at Ray Wenderlich, I was like, hey, why don't you have uh, have somebody on? I, I first said Ray, and then um, the the guy Chris I was talking to, he's like, why not Andy? And because I figured like if we're gonna do like ad read, I might as well have someone on from Ray Wendelick as well, um, because I don't think we've ever had anybody on before. And so uh, I got in touch with Andy, and I actually um, heard about you before. I don't know how. Um, oh, that's because somebody told me I can't remember who that I should have you on. And actually, when we got connected again, you even said like, "Oh, hey, sorry, I saw this email a long time from a long time ago." And now, like, I'm finally replying. Um, I can't remember who suggested that I interview you, but someone did, like, a long time ago. Um, so a couple people from the team you have interviewed on here. Uh, I think you've had Greg Heo on the show. Oh, yeah, that's right. So Greg Heo, he, uh, you know, I think he's a little bit less involved with the site now. 
um, Nicholas Burke you had on a couple months ago. He's yeah. also on the team. Right. Um, and then I think a few weeks ago you had Ryan Nystrom. I, f- I forgot yep. to pronounce his last name. He's written articles also for the site. Oh, wow. Look at that. Just totally proving me wrong on my own show. Thank you, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. So, yeah, that's why um, I wanted to have uh, Andy on. And so he is here today to tell us about his life, uh, what, what he's up to, how he got to where he is. And then uh, we're going to be talking about the work that he's doing at um, uh, Warner Brothers uh, Digital Labs and then uh, talking about his experience um, at Ray Wenderlich. And uh, because, as, as, as I mentioned, he is the associate editor-in-chief, so obviously he's in an interesting position there. And so I think... It, um, Ray Wenderlich is like a huge part of the, the community, Swift community, especially I learned to program Swift and iOS using raywenderlich.com. Um, so I think that he has an interesting perspective on like what you guys are up to over there and, and what it's like even being this um, part of the community. So before we get into that, uh, briefly just tell us about uh, the work that you do at uh, Warner Brothers Digital Labs and then tell us about the work that you do at raywenderlich.com. Yeah, sure. So I'm an iOS engineer at Warner Brothers Digital Labs. I've been there. It's a it's a relatively new position for me. I've um only in my second month with the company. Congratulations. Thanks. Yeah, I've been actually been doing iOS development since the iPhone SDK came out, you know, over ten years ago. Um, only recently switched positions. And, you know, at Warner Brothers Digital Labs, we're we're a company under Warner Brothers and kind of like our bread and butter of what we do is stream video to the web and mobile devices and set top boxes. Okay. So, so are there like multiple Warner brothers, like apps out there that I download or is there like one app I would down download to like see the work that you're doing? Yep. So there's a, there's a couple apps out there. Um, they're kind of, you know, right now the two apps that are most prominent that we maintain are, is called drama fever. And that's for stream. That's actually streaming video for Korean drama. Okay. And the other one's called Boomerang, which is actually like older Warner Brothers cartoons, like Bugs Bunny or Scooby Doo. Interesting. I mean, but Warner Brothers has like a lot of, um, you know, classic properties. I'm surprised. Like, isn't there? Like, doesn't Warner Brothers own like Batman or something? So the or like um, Looney Tunes. Yep. So that, so those cartoons, like all the cartoons are going to be in Boomerang. Like that's some uh-huh. of like the, the, the more classic cartoons, but, um, actually, and Warner Brothers Digital Labs is actually pretty new. We were a standalone company actually long before I joined. I like, I'm still pretty new. Um, I don't know about six, somewhere between six months to a year ago, Drama Fever was a, their own company who got acquired by Warner Brothers to then come in and start, you know, bringing that skill of streaming video to some of the other Warner Brothers properties. Okay. And uh, how many iOS developers do you work with? Um, There are about five other iOS devs on my team. Okay, cool. And are you working on one app in particular or or, uh, most of the time I know there's maybe some things you can't talk about, but like are you usually working on one, one product or are you working on multiple products at the same time? Um, it kind of about, you know, we use agile software development and, you know, kind of do some rough capacity planning at the beginning of a sprint. Um, 
And so, you know, to answer your question, there's essentially, we have people on our iOS team designated as channel leads. And so they're kind of like the responsible person for one of these given apps. Um, and then, you know, through sprint planning, we're talking about people's capacity. We'll essentially kind of like get your work identified for the next two weeks um, at the beginning of a sprint. So, you know, I'd, in general, you know, for a, g- a decent chunk of time, you're going to be working on the same app. But then if you have other support, you know, if somebody needs you to lend a hand elsewhere because a ship date's coming up or you have, ex- you know, your experience in a different you know, your knowledge you bring could help solve a problem somewhere else. You might jump around. Okay. And are you guys working in Swift? Yep. So we're a hundred percent, we're a hundred percent Swift actually. And actually something cool the team did. So again, long before I joined, this was about maybe a year and a half ago, they actually um, took some time to essentially rewrite all their apps in Swift. So, wow. you know, unlike, um, which is kind of pretty cool and unique, like unlike some other, like my last position where we did go, we, we got to a point where we're writing hundred percent of our new code in Swift. We still had a pretty big objective C code base to maintain. Um, we're now joining the Warner brother digital lab team. Um, the entire code base that we're working with across the different apps and, and shared libraries is all Swift. Awesome. That's good to hear. And tell us about your work at RayWinderlake.com. You are the Associate Editor-in-Chief. I believe that's a new title, a new position that you've assumed. Yeah, so I have two new jobs. So so at WBDL, um, you know, I've been there one somewhere between one and two months. And now this new position at, at RayWinderlake.com um, is even newer. I think I've been in this role now somewhere between one and two weeks. Uh-huh. And, and so tell us a little bit about the work that you're doing there. Yeah, so the, the new role, essentially like Ray and I have talked about a, a lot of these, you know, I don't know, bigger ideas of stuff we want to do with the site to really help reach new people, um, you know, with all the quality content that we have towards, you know, wanting to help people learn how to do iOS development regardless of where they're at with their skill level. And there was never really you know, I don't know, a a specific person or role dedicated to doing some of these efforts and um, essentially got to the point with Ray, I had been the team, the iOS team lead for about a year and Ray and I kind of just had like a informal check-in conference call. We were just catching up and kind of, you know, agreed that it it was time that, you know, to, you know, let's start looking at some of these other efforts. Um, to help improve the site, reach a wider audience, make better, better quality content. And, uh, there was, you know, a couple people we had in mind to take over the iOS team lead role. And, you know, as soon as they were, we, we'd talked to them and they agree. And, you know, the, the right guy was on board for that. Um, then I moved into the associate editor, editor in chief position and, you know, I'm underway with my first project for that. Awesome. So I know it's very new, but it sounds like you're going to be sort of expanding the site, trying to reach a wider audience. Um, and what one thing you mentioned that is exciting to me is the fact that it sounds like you're trying to reach um, people who are not programmers, who are just trying to break into the industry, kind of like uh, I was uh, a few years ago. And that is one of the goals of this podcast. That's one of the goals of the, the meetups that I do. So I feel like there's always been so much um, overlap between the work that I'm doing uh, with the podcast and in my community. 
uh, and the work that you guys are doing. So uh, I feel like that's a big change. Um, we can make a big impact by bringing more people on board uh, and sharing the possibilities of being a Swift developer. Uh, you know, we it really is life changing uh, to go from whatever work that you might be doing at some time to then becoming a Swift developer. It's, to me, it was life changing, and I just love to be able to share that uh, with other people. And so it sounds like that's what you're going to be doing. So good luck with that. Uh, okay, so before we get too into it, let's back up and let's go to the beginning and let's talk about how you got into programming. I read a little bit on your uh, your blog, cleanswifter, I believe, dot com. Yep, that's it, cleanswifter.com. About, about me section and, and you talk about how you got into programming. It sounds like it all started with an old computer. It was a new computer at the time. <laughs> Yeah, so ba- back in back in the eighties, um, you know, I think like many people, um, you know, my dad, who was not, who is not an IT geek, but you know, brought home a computer. I, I got to get the story from him about where he got this or what what really like triggered him to bring it and buy buy it and bring it home. But um, I, you know, I think I can't, the name it was like an IBM. 286 compatible, 186 compatible, something like if that rings a bell of, of kind of the time and, and type of machine it was. Um, he brought it home. It uh, window did not run Windows. It was only DOS. Um, that was the first computer in the house that we had. And you know, he started for um, he there were there were a couple books he had brought home as well. One was like a, a basic programming manual. And I think that was really my first introduction to computer programming. And it made no, like, I could follow along these examples in this book, which would essentially, like, you know, you run a program and it prints a string to the screen. And, you know, I was kind of, like, trying to figure out how, you know, I could get from that to a Pac-Man game. And it was just kind of like, all right, so this is computer programming, like, I'm not really see, I'm not really getting out of this, like, you know, what... Okay, so I can't see how to get from here to there. Um, and, you know, things, as time passed, the computer, you know, computers just became more and more popular. Um, we, the first Mac, we we actually owned a Centris 610 um, in the early 90s. That was kind of the computer we got that replaced the, the prior one I was telling you about. And... Um, you know that if anybody uh, remembers Max at that time, you know it was definitely definitely a different world. It was pre OS pre OS ten, um, but this is when I was kind of like in the middle school to high school time frame, and you know it was pretty clear that like computer programming was going to be a you know pretty significant profession. And I loved playing computer games. I loved playing video games, so you know the interest the interest was there to spend time on a computer. And my high school offered a class, um, AP Computer Science, and I that was really the first formal education I had into computer programming. And I took that, I think, my sophomore year of high school, and the language, it was actually taught in the Pascal programming language. And I, you know, went through that course and, you know, kind of got started getting exposure to, you know, what algorithms were and how to implement those on a machine, uh, implement those in Pascal. And, um, you know, I I think I did average in the course, but, you know, it kind of helped start to reinforce my interest in in uh, computer programming. 
and then interestingly enough, this next year, the whole um, curriculum for the course changed to C++ from Pascal as the programming language that you would then implement all the coursework in. And, you know, at that point, kind of like the momentum, you know, I hit that tipping point where I knew I wanted to go to college for computer programming. So I kind of approached the teacher, the same teacher was going to teach the class. And I was like, you know, it's probably a little weird that I want to take the same class over. But since it's in a different programming language, would you be cool with that? And, and he was, and so kind of signed up for another year that did, um, got that exposure and experience to C++. And that then translated to a, um, undergraduate degree from the University of Delaware in computer science. And, um, from from University of Delaware, um, I started getting in some. There was there was two things that happened at Delaware that I think had an impact on my career. Uh, one was that I got a job at a computer lab on campus, which was the and this was total coincidence. Um, I think I just you know put a replied to like a general general ad for for uh, applying for a position at computer labs and you know, somehow got connected with this uh, person who needed help at the only Mac lab on mm-hmm. campus. And um, it was, I started work there between, like, uh, between years at school during the summer. And the first thing I did at that lab was help help this lady get uh, Mac OS ten upgrades on all the machines from uh, whatever was on there before, I can couldn't remember what pro, what uh, operating system version were on these computers. So it was like um, just perfect timing that then I wouldn't, you know, couldn't really foresee the impact that that would then have on me down the road. That then working in this lab with OS ten and seeing how far Mac OS had come since, you know, that Centris six ten we had in the early nineties. Um, so, so so that it, that was kind of just. It kind of just took off from there. Uh, you you were hooked on on the Mac at that point, or no? I would I wouldn't say I was hooked on the Mac. I think it was it kind of like laid the groundwork in my mind that like okay, Mac was Mac was back and and something that wasn't was different than from what I knew before. Because you know I think in high school I went through this period of time where I was using like a Dell Dell computer with Windows ninety eight. Um, and then even shifted over into Linux for a while in college and then seeing that like Mac OS 10, you know, I could open up a terminal and, you know, have all these familiar commands from the Linux command line available as well as like, you know, a well-maintained GUI that could be actually usable in to install software and stuff different from a lot of the Linux desktops, um, you know, it was kind of something that like, you know, just caught my eye. It's like, okay, wow, you know, this Mac, Mac is a lot better than what, what, from what I remember. I almost have no perspective on that. I, I do remember my brother having some MS-DOS like computer games. There was like this one like, like kind of fighter pilot, but it was like a futuristic space pilot, like flying through and you'd have to like dodge these walls. And then we had a dot matrix printer connected to it. But for the most part, like all my computer use was um, first with Windows 95. That's what I remember. And paint and word art. um, And then eventually uh, getting a Mac. So it's so interesting to like to hear you say 
that you had this familiarity with the Mac because there was a terminal, but it was like this best of both worlds because you also had this graphical user interface. Yeah, totally. And, and um, you know, so I, being a poor college student, like was not going to go out and buy a new computer, like buy a Mac from, from this experience. But um, to be able to have access to the Mac and, and start to, you know, see that as a professional programming platform um, at the time, you know, I think was something that then would come back around years down the road when, when I, the iPhone SDK came out. Um, but yeah, so. Okay. So let's step back real quick. Um, your dad brings home the IBM compatible PC and there was a basic booklet. Like, why did you think that you could program or like, how did that even pop into your mind? Hmm. I, I guess curiosity, you know, I think like a lot of people, how in our, a lot of people would become engineers of any sort. Like I definitely had an interest in taking things apart, like the old telephones and toasters and stuff like that. And, and, you know, often would not be able to put them back together, but would still have a lot of fun taking it apart that then there was this computer there and, um, you know, with the games that I was playing, um, on this computer, like written in software, that then there was a, a book with seemingly the instructions to tell you how to create your own version of that, I think was something that I was like, oh, well, let me see, let me, let me see what this is all about. Was this something that you mostly discovered by yourself or was your dad like telling you or your friends or your brother, your sister, somebody telling you like, Hey, you can play video games on this thing. Hey, there's this booklet. Hey, you know, or were you sort of just discovering it on your own? Um, you know, I, I wasn't really, I think it was, you know, a good kind of like father and son activity of, Hey, let me show you these games that you can play. Um, there was no, at that point, no real, like, you know, push from him to kind of be like, Oh, we'll go check out this programming thing later on, you know, maybe about 10 years later, um, again, when I was in like the middle to high school type age, um, he was in a doctorate program where he was actually writing code to do statistical processing of, um, I don't know, like, you know, data that they were, he was, he's a physical therapist and he was getting his doctorate in biomechanics. So they would essentially have these labs where they would put kind of like little reflectors on people's joints and then videotape them as they moved and then feed in like the coordinates of where they, you know, of where these reflectors were and then do a bunch of, I don't know, statistical analysis to, you know, see how, see how these people's like bodies and react to doing different movements under load or injury or things like that. So it was totally, he, you know, for him at that point, programming was, was purely a means to an end to get some of like the, the learnings out of research. And that's right around the time I was in that, that, uh, computer science course in high school. Um, so we would kind of talk at that point a little bit about, you know, what it was like to, to learn programming and stuff like that. Um, but you know, I don't think many, many of the friends I hung out with weren't really into computer programming at all. I mean, there were some of the classmates, it was literally one, 
that computer science course was just literally one session offered across the whole high school. So it wasn't a lot of people into it at that point. And when you were in high school or were you in college and you were in college, were you already dead set on becoming a computer programmer? Like that's what you wanted to do as a profession? I, I think that compu- that high school computer science course solidified that, yeah. And then when I applied to Delaware, um, it was directly for the computer science program. So I started that right from the first day. All right, so you graduate uh, University of Delaware, and what do you do? Do you go work uh, somewhere at an enterprise? You start your own company. What do you do? Yeah, so I um, worked at a company called Vanguard, their big finance company here outside Philly. And um, I worked, I was basically doing server-side Java development for websites for them. And, um, you know, I did that for a good, I don't know, three to four years. Um, I was, and at then, um, so I was doing this Java development for them, server-side Java. And, uh, one of my, you know, somebody senior to me approached me who I was kind of like, you know, I don't know, linked with professionally somehow at Vanguard. And, um, he was basically describing, he, he, he essentially recruited me to join this new team that Vanguard was I don't know, Vanguard was creating called the Innovation Research Team. Okay. And, you know, it was just by total coincidence, right at the same, you know, I think about that conversation with him was about a year before the iPhone SDK came out just to kind of help people orient, like in their mind, when, when this time was. So, you know, I went to join this team where I wasn't doing that server-side Java anymore. And, you know, part of what we were doing on that team was just, you know, in taking inventory of the landscape and new technology coming and then trying to find how, you know, use cases for that in at Vanguard, which was not a tech company, but a finance company. And so obviously, like mobile was a huge thing happening at that point. Like this was pre iPhone still, but everybody was carrying Blackberries, Palm Trios were really popular. The mobile Internet was was becoming really popular with like the dot Moby websites. Um, and, uh, so part of one of these, yeah, as we were breaking down the efforts that this team wanted to focus on mobile was one of them. And then, you know, just by perfect timing, like the iPhone was announced and, you know, thus kicked off our initiative to look into what native mobile apps, you know, could do for the Vanguard shareholder. Wow, that's cool. So that's sort of why you were there from the beginning. That's that's why I was there from the beginning. Yep, and I think I, you know, really, cre- I was hooked on iPhone development right from that like first time I got a build to deploy to a device, and then it was like software that I created was like I could then touch and you know use on a mobile device, not just like a computer and a web browser. Like that that was really wow. impactful for me. Um, before that, before the iOS SDK, there was the sort of web apps, I guess, like Apple, Steve Jobs came on stage and he's talking about web apps on the iPhone. Did you do any development for that? Um, yeah, and that was even also, those were even, you know, pretty popular before the iPhone was even announced as well. That was um, also underway at Vanguard was their mobile website. So I didn't directly to contribute to that, but the same team that I eventually 
went to join um, after that innovation team at Vanguard was also responsible for maintaining their mobile website. So this was back, you know, for some history, like um, now all websites are responsive that like you're going to go to the same website, CNN.com, and just see a scaled down version on your iPhone versus the same website that you're going to see on your on your desktop, your giant monitor on your desktop. I'm, I'm having like a really like silly realization and kind of feeling kind of dumb actually. Um, are you telling me that the web apps, like the pre-iOS SDK web apps, like all they really were were just websites or was there any like extra sort of development besides making it look good on a phone that Apple allowed you to do with the iPhone? Like did they, was there some sort of SDK for making web apps for iPhone? Um, so even some kind of into like territory where I'm, you know, not necessarily have had a ton of experience with the mobile okay. website building, but just, I think this is common with today as well, that like mobile Safari has, um, like specific APIs available to, um, you know, do certain things that are specific to the iPhone. Um, and that was, you know, I think that's been there the whole time. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Man. Because I remember like the, when the iPhone first came out, I had one and there was the, like the mobile web apps and there was like a chess app. And, um, I just remember thinking like, oh, this is cool, but you know, I have to have internet. Um, and I, for some reason I just thought it was like something different. Like it wasn't a website. It was, it was like a web app. It was uh, something, but I got, I feel kind of silly now actually thinking about it. Like it was just a website, but for some reason I thought it was something more. Yeah, the term like web app um, is often used to just mean a website. Sometimes a website will be made up of several web apps. Um, and we're bringing it back to what what was going on at Vanguard at the time, and I think a lot of other companies, um, this is pre-iPhone, but in the midst of like the BlackBerry heyday, was that there were actually separate websites developed that were much scaled down, um, you know, not as much images, not as much style, just purely the text in a, in a very plain representation that would then de- be deployed on a different domain like vanguard.mobi. And oh, you wow. could then go there for a fast, where the website would download faster, it looked better on the BlackBerry, um, but then have to be maintained as a separate effort by your development team from vanguard.com. Right. Which we're sort of still, you know, there now, right? You have to develop your website, you need your iOS app, your Android app. Uh, okay. So the iOS SDK comes out. Had you done any Objective C or like once you guys decided that you were going to explore a Vanguard app, iOS app, whatever that meant, like what did you do? Did you have to just go out there and learn Objective C? Yeah, so I had to go learn Objective-C. And it's really just started out as like a proof of concept effort. Like, um, rem- so remember, when I was being part of the innovation team. Like, that wasn't even our sole main objective. This was just a portion of the team doing investigation into mobile. Um, you know, and uh, so it started off by, okay, let's go look at what this new, and it was actually called the iPhone SDK back then. Um, huh. And... Uh, let's go take a look at at what we could do with this. And so actually Vanguard paid for me to go to training for 
you know, kind of like a, a introductory iPhone class um, put on by the Pragmatic Studio out in Denver. And, uh, you know, kind of interesting little tidbit was was uh, one of the teachers of that class was Daniel Steinberg. I don't know if you Yeah, I met him at Swift Summit just a couple of weeks ago. And it's funny because, you know, he was one of those teachers for for my foundation of iPhone programming. And, you know, we've kind of just then crossed paths over the years and in various different, you know, different channels. And and now he's actually going to be one of uh, the speakers at RW DevCon Ray's conference, Ray Wonderlich's conference that's coming up next year. Wow, that's so funny. You know, you go, you learn from him, and then years later, you guys are working together. That that stuff is great. I love that kind of stuff. So back, so back to Vanguard. So we essentially set off on this proof of concept effort to build an app, um, really just allow people to log in and see their secure finance data, financial information about their mutual funds. We did that and, you know, kind of just went on like a dog and pony show with the business leaders showing them, you know, what was what we were able to do with a pretty, you know, relatively easy effort. Um, and, you know, at the same time, um, also showing them the Vanguard Mobi site that kind of complemented the iPhone app. And, um, you know, the, the decision makers of Vanguard then created the Vanguard mobile team. And at that point, I uh, we released the iPhone app that was kind of just more um, internal only at that point to just get buy-in. We released that app. And I went over to then join the, the Vanguard mobile team where we then went on to create several different apps for other business areas. We had started creating Android apps. Um, we had an iP- the iPad came out. We created an iPad app. Um, and, you know, that was a really exciting time. I mean, it was just kind of like, mobile development was so new and things were changing and, you know, it had a huge impact on the business because we just saw usage go keep going up and up and up every month, people logging in, loving the features we were adding. So it was a pretty cool time. Wow. So you really have been there uh, since the beginning, at least of, you know, the iPhone SDK. Um, I mean, imagine like people who've been Mac developers like their whole life and now the iPhone, that's even like, and I'm just coming at it now, you know, what... 2015 it's it makes me feel like kind of like confused I, I and i ask i want to ask you do you feel like there will just continue to be more and more need for uh, swift developers or iphone um, developers or all the different platforms that apple's going to come out with um, i mean you've been there for for a while and you've just seen it grow well, what are your thoughts on that i yeah so i think um to compare it to a different technology, a similar technology, uh, COBOL programmers. Like I keep, you know, you hear that like COBOL programmers are some of the highest paid programmers in the industry because they're the need for them. Like COBOL is a really old programming language. Um, and there are these huge systems built with COBOL that need to be enhanced and maintained except like, no one is learning new COBOL. No one's like, people aren't getting that skill in college. So like, where do we get to find COBOL programmers? Like the, the demand for them is really high. Um, you know, I, I think like 
you know, trying to future proof your, your profession, like thinking about, okay, I'm a Swift developer today. I'm going to like really be the best Swift developer I can. Um, taking it a day at a time, like who knows what tomorrow is going to bring? Like, you know, does the iPhone all of a sudden lose popularity and like be taken off the market? Like if there were no more iPhones tomorrow, there was no more app store, like, well, now Swift's open source and server side Swift is like, you know, there's so many, there, there's a, a lot of Swift stuff happening now that isn't, you know, tied to apps on the app store, on the iPhone app store. Right. That, you know, I, and I think the community, I think, you know, the community, the programming community at large also sees like Swift as a quality programming language that it's not, it's not going to be like, you know, the flavor of the month. It's, it's just been building, getting, getting a wider, um, you know, just more and more things you can do with Swift that, um, you know, I don't really see the the demand drying up for Swift development anytime soon. If anything, it's, it just continues to grow. One of the things I felt when I was uh, sort of just starting out and learning, and it was most likely just, you know, me projecting some sort of insecurity probably was like, I wonder if, um, you know, programmers are feeling like they're in a club and they're very protective of the club and they like don't want to let people in because it's like job security. Uh, but I, but, but the truth is like, if you look at the community, it's amazing. It's so welcoming and everybody's sharing, uh, you know, obviously the open source community is, it's like they, it's built on sharing. And then, you know, the work that I'm doing and the work that you guys are doing at RayWenderlich.com is about sharing and bringing more people on. So it's like, it's this weird, we want the community to be very big, especially Swift. We want Swift to be, you know, the most popular language in the world. But then it's like, it's like as that happens, as more and more Swift developers, you know, get on, uh, as more as there becomes more and more Swift developers, it's almost like you're you're getting you're selling yourself out of a job, or you're like working yourself out of a job. Like, but then, but then maybe not because there's just going to be an endless supply, uh, and there's only going to be more and more work. Maybe. It, do you, do you get what I'm saying? It's like this weird sort of dance that, um, at least that I, I think about. Well, I, I don't think you personally should be worried about having a swift job anytime soon. Cause I think, you know, you, what you've done, for instance, like building your audience with this podcast and the community around you, like you really, you know, made a positive name for yourself. So I don't think you should be worried at all. <laughs> now, like well, thank you. the broader, you know, I think, to, to your point, like, no, I don't, I don't think anyone should be, uh, I don't think it's one, like computer programming is hard. Like it takes commitment to learn. So I don't think it's going to be something that like, you know, becomes so watered down that anyone can do it. And that it's, it's, it's really like, um, that there's just so many programmers that they're, uh, you know, the work isn't there. Like, I don't, I don't really see that happening. Um, I do though, at the same time, think that everyone, um, every, everybody in any industry should dedicate time to getting better at their craft. Um, you know, I think something I, I look up to people who do, and I try to do myself is that, you know, being a, being the best software engineer you can doesn't mean just putting the time in at your day job and then not thinking about it anywhere beyond that. 
yeah. you need to like find time outside of your day job to carve out and practice and sharpen your axe to get better at what you do. And whether that is through hosting your own podcast to talk to people about Swift or working with, you know, or even just doing Ray Wonderlick tutorials. Um, you know, I think that's, that's something that the best software engineers do. And, um, I think that's something everybody should do. Yeah. So we are at the, uh, about the halfway mark and like, that's kind of a beautiful little transition for, for my first little ad read ever. Um, and I'm only, uh, bringing attention to it like that because it is the first and I, I can just hear, uh, some of my, uh, my, uh, supporters out there, like, uh, Jeffrey Fulton, he's like, no, Gary, you know, don't, don't do ads, don't do ads. Uh, but, you know, this is actually a company um, that I believe in. As I said, I used RayWenderlich.com to get to where I am. I bought the iOS Apprentice uh, series by Matthias Holt. Do you know how to say his name, Andy? I think his first name is Matthias. Matthias, okay. And the last name, I don't know how to pronounce. Holt, 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 Holt. Anyways, very, very good book. And uh, I hear a lot of people... Uh, who say the same thing. And so, uh, yeah, so I'm going to read this now. Uh, I've never done this before, but uh, I do always have an announcement section. So um, this will be the first announcement. I'll have one other announcement um, after this one. So here it goes, ladies and gentlemen. Drum roll, please. Wow. Are you ready to level up your iOS development career, but not sure where to start? RayWenderlich.com has the biggest, best, and most up-to-date collection of Swift 4 and iOS 11 books anywhere. From November 24th to November 27th, RayWenderlich.com is having a massive Black Friday sale where you can get uh, any of their books for 50% off. Or you can grab their entire collection of 12 best-selling books for just $199. That is an incredible deal. As an iOS developer, there's simply no better investment you can make in yourself. Head over to store.raywinderlick.com to take advantage of their limited time Black Friday sale starting November 24th and ending November 27th. Um, yeah, so that was my first ad read. How did it go? What do you think, Andy? I, I think you did a great job. And, uh, you know, I think one thing specifically she continue doing is reading that ad read within the episode. I think it's I think it's re really noticeable, you know, when people do record the ad read ahead of time and then kind of switch over and play it and just kind of seems out of place. So I think you sounded great. <laughs> right on. Okay. And the second announcement is uh, from Andrew Rudkowski. Andrew Rudkowski. Um, he is at Plastic, uh, sorry, at Sky Plastic Bear on Twitter. And essentially what he uh, wanted me to tell uh, you guys, is that he is the founder and organizer of Learn Swift um, Northern Virginia, and he is moving to South Korea in December. So he has to step down as the organizer of Learn Swift Northern Virginia, and he's looking for someone to take over. I believe Arthur Sabinsev lives in that area, so I told him to, to reach out to Arthur. We've had him on the podcast before, um, and so maybe he'll take over. I don't know, but if you live in the Northern Virginia area and you want to be a leader, you want to be a meetup organizer, you want to be a leader in your, your Swift community, this is a great opportunity to take over an existing meetup 
that has uh, you know a lot of the the work already done for you. You just need to take over, reach out to him. Link will be in the show notes and start hosting meetups and sharing knowledge and learning uh, together. All right, so that is it for announcements. Um, let's move on, Andy. Uh, let's talk about uh, a little bit more about your work at uh, Warner Brother, uh, Warner Brothers Digital Labs. Um, so you said that you work on uh, you know multiple apps potentially at any time. Um, tell us about like your work, uh, you know, doing Swift in in sort of an enterprise. I, I guess I don't know what you call it. It's not really an enterprise, but like a big you know it's a big company. And you started out doing Objective C at Vanguard, which is also like a it's not a tech company, right? But they they're they're interested in making a digital product, and you were doing Objective C, and now you're at again another sort of non tech company that has digital products. Like what what has your uh, your experience been like going from Objective C to Swift in that similar environment? So Warner Brothers Digital Labs is a tech company. We're just a you know smaller company within the larger Warner Brothers. Um, one, you know, I think thing that attracted to me to this team at Warner Brothers Digital Labs is that they actually took some time that they paused all new development and rewrote all their Objective-C code in Swift. And that happened about a year and a half ago, long before I joined the team. And, um, you know, I think that... That was attractive to me, one, because it kind of signifies that, okay, these are people interested in working with the latest up-to-date technology. And then, two, that they, you know, also were interested enough that, you know, they paused work on what may have been attractive new end-user features to then go back and upgrade their code base to this new technology. Was there someone that was convincing them of that or who was... Who was like the main proponent or how did that come to be? You know, I mean, it, it seems like it'd be a hard thing to convince a company to do. Um, you know, again, it's before my time. So um, I don't, you know, have all the details there. I think it's just, you know, that that was something that jumped out at me when I was looking, you know, looking to leave my prior company um, of, of something that, you know, kind of stuck, caught my eye about about this new team. Um, at my maybe one of, one of the interests. So it sounds like you were. It seems like oh, that sounds like a cool company to work for if they're willing to do that. Yeah, exactly. You got it. And at uh, my last company, we were um, at my last company. I worked at A Weber, another uh, software company in the Philly area, and we were writing all new. We were committed to writing all new code in Swift there, but we hadn't gone through that effort with our legacy code base of Objective C code. So. Um, you know, that brought a whole different set of challenges of, of working in a hybrid code base. Um, and then, you know, contrast that with where I was at at Vanguard long before Swift was even announced, which was an entirely Objective-C code base. So it sounds like your experience at AWeber um, is where you you were writing Objective-C and then uh, by the time you left AWeber, you were writing Swift. And so maybe uh, you could talk a little bit about your experience there um, if you can recall, you know, some of the positives or some of the challenges that you um, noticed or experienced uh, when you were working at AWeber, writing Objective-C, and then you know, having making the decision that you were going to start writing uh, in Swift or converting projects to Swift. Do you, is there anything that uh, kind of jumps out uh, as a, a challenge or um, a positive experience? 
Oh uh, yeah, a couple things come to mind. So I think you know one of the things like I'm a, I, I think I recommend this to anybody who is um, you know who has an objective C code base and aspires to getting into Swift, learning Swift. A, a great way to do that that's low risk is to start writing automated tests in a, in Swift for your objective C code base. Um, Very interesting. So some people might not know that that's possible. So essentially what you're saying is you have a Swift, I'm sorry, you have an Objective-C code base. And um, let's say you have tests or you don't have tests or you have some tests. What you're saying is that you can write your new test files as a Swift, uh, you know, like a .swift file. Exactly. And and you you do you would just do it in the same way. Like if you, if for those that have never done a, a Swift test before, you just write like at testable, whatever module you want to test. So if it's your main app, you know, at testable, my main app, and you can now have access to the the objects inside of that module to test. Is that the same same thing you need to do, or is there some extra little work that you need to do to write a Swift test against your Objective C module? Uh, no, that's roughly what you need to do. I think there's also um, like a bridging header you'll need to create in order to then any like Objective C headers that you want access to from Swift. Like you'll need to that's a dedicated bridging header for your tests. Um, but at the once at the end of the day, like it's it's pretty easy to get up and running to create a Swift test case. So when you go in Xcode, imagine you're going file new, and there's a template in there for iOS unit test, and you can select that. And on the next screen, there'll be a drop down that asks you which language you want that in, Swift or Objective C. So you could have a project, you know, at a company that does not want to write their new customer facing code in Swift. Like say that's that say that's you right now. That's that's your world. You have an app. Your your company's working on apps, and they're all in Objective C, and they don't want any Swift code getting into that that main code base for of production stuff that will ship to the customers. But you personally want, you know, you have a passion for Swift, or you want to use this as a basis to get experience in Swift, or you want to maybe help convince the company that Swift, you know, has a place in their code base. Um, you can then you know, select Swift in that dropdown when you're creating that new file and then just write your test case as you might have, you know, written your in Objective-C, but just do it in Swift. That's really cool. I didn't, uh, I didn't think about it, although I feel like I might have heard this before, but I think this is a really great suggestion. Like it's a really, as you said, I think you said low maintenance or low risk uh, way of starting to introduce Swift into your Objective-C code base. That's really cool. So is this a strategy that you've practiced before? Yeah, so this is really how we got started with it at AWeber, um, is uh, started writing test cases in Swift. And um, we ran, we started doing this pretty early on. I don't remember exactly what version of Swift we started doing, we were doing this in. Um, but, you know, we had a pretty, we, we were pretty passionate, the team of mo the mobile team at AWeber was pretty passionate about automated testing. So, you know, we used test room development and we had redundant tests of UI tests in addition to unit tests. And um, we had a continuous, we used Jenkins for our continuous integration server. And um, we ran into some problems early on, essentially using um, Xcode and, and uh, beta versions of Xcode as new versions of Swift came out. Um, and how we would then integrate that into our CI stack with these tests that we were then writing in Swift very early on. Um, but that those kind of wrinkles have ironed themselves out, and I don't think it's, as, it's a problem as much anymore. 
So you uh, said that you're writing uh, Swift for the most part uh, full time. Uh, maybe you still have some mixed projects you're working with. Actually, no. At, at Warner Brothers Digital Labs, it's all in Swift now. It's awesome. Yep, okay, so so can you just take a like a look back and feel, like what are your what are your feelings? Are you are you happy that you're writing in, in Swift now, or what are what are some like the the challenges, if if any, that you feel like you're facing um, because you're working in Swift at at maybe these um, you know large code bases? Um, yeah, do you have any sort of thoughts there? looking back on your objective c days yeah looking back i think so i was at the i've only been to one wwdc and the one i was at was when swift was announced so that, that wow. that's a pretty cool memory to have yeah but uh, you know init- my initial reaction you know i'll admit was a, was maybe slightly annoyed maybe slightly wondering like you know why the change like you know i i hadn't really you know, I didn't, I was, you know, Objective-C, I felt like did the job and, you know, we could build apps that would, you know, do it, do everything we needed. And now it's like, okay, there's a new language and, um, you know, triggered all these other conversations around like, when should we switch and how should we switch and where should we use Swift and where shouldn't we use Swift? Um, you know, so I think that, that was, a, a, I don't know, you know, just something that stands out in my memory of, of adopting swift as the landscape changed yeah and eventually you you did it sounds like you started doing it at aweber um and then how do you feel do you feel like it was the right decision you could have waited what are your thoughts there? no i think how it panned out was the right decision i think you know that a slow migration um to of of the language we were using again by using automated test like starting with writing automated tests in Swift was a great start. I think being on a team of um, you know one guy in particular was really passionate about Swift, and you know he would he was just a great a great person to be around. That um, I think you know without him ha- without working directly with him like you know he opened my eyes a lot to you know, okay, you know, one Swift is not that, you know, it's not going to be like that big of a road bump in, in the features that we can deliver. Like we can still learn this all the while getting meaningful features out. Um, and then, you know, also showing me like some of the things that like Swift was good at that were problems in Objective-C, like, you know, type safety and how many, how many crashes, you know, that just simply doesn't allow to happen anymore. Right. And what about some of the the growing pains? For instance, uh, the Swift three migration and the Swift four migration, or compile times. Are these concerns? Are you guys dealing? Have Have you dealt with any of this stuff? And how are you guys um, sort of? Yeah, how are you dealing with it? Um, I you know I don't think they're they're big concerns. I think with any technology stack, like the stack is going to evolve, and you have to you know, know how you're going to react to that. Like as new versions come out, are we going to be jumping right on the new version or when do we make the cutover? And, and I think it's just a communication with it's, it's a conversation with your team, um, you know, bringing it back to like, what are our values as a team? What are our goals? What are we here to do? And then, you know, how does that then play into our, our practices for new technology adoption? And then it's like, if you look at it that way, then it's not really about like, oh, this awesome new API in Swift 4, 
versus just doing what's right for what we're here to do. And are you at all keeping an eye on the uh, evolution progression uh, of Swift, uh, you know, either personally or, um, you know, sort of Gay's talking about it all in the company and, and how, how it might be affecting you? Like, where do you sort of want to see the language go? I think the best thing that could happen is, um, hmm. I mean, there's a lot of different, uh, there's a lot of different things, the evolution of the language, more and more people can, um, learn the language. We can do lots of different things with the language beyond just Apple devices. Um, you used to do uh, server side Java development, you know, for instance, is there anything in particular that you're looking forward to in the future? Yeah, I think the the open sourcing of Swift and it broadening itself, it becoming broader than just for Mac apps or iOS apps will be a great thing. Um, I think that'll help bring new people, it'll make it more attractive to new people to learn. It'll mean that the community using language will get bigger as a result. The community of people supporting the language, the tools around the language will get bigger. Um, and that'll only improve like all the experience around the language itself. Yeah. Are you guys doing um, anything like that at RayWenderlich.com? For instance, I know that Ray has done a lot of video series on um, Swift on the server. He's done, I think, uh, you know, Vapor, Perfect, maybe even Katura uh, video series. Um, are you guys like, focused on that, like Swift beyond Apple devices? Um, we're not focused on it per se. Uh, we're, we're monitoring it. I think raise, you know, those efforts on those, what you were just mentioning, like we're kind of like seen as, um, you know, testing the water a little bit to see what the interest is like. We did have, uh, a team actually dedicated to writing tutorials on Swift itself. And, um, that team, we actually kind of merged that team in with the iOS team just because the pace of change around Swift has slowed down that it didn't actually warrant a, a dedicated team to writing new tutorials about Swift. It was kind of like all the big topics were, were covered. And now we just need to like really maintain, need to make sure that what we have on the site is maintained and up to date. Are you guys still doing uh, new content for Objective-C? Um, no, we stopped that actually um, almost as soon as Swift was announced a couple of years ago. That's awesome. I mean, it makes sense too. Like all of the, the excitement was about Swift and um, the market was probably growing. Uh, and so in terms of like server side Swift, it's still early days. It sounds like there's not that much interest in people wanting to maybe pay for content uh, for to learn about server side development or server side Swift. Um, the interest is there. I'll, I'll, def I'll tell you that. We... Um, the interest is definitely there. I think uh, we're kind of in a mode of trying to figure out what the best way to cover that technology is. Are we, um, you know, is that something we even want to do is to cover right. Swift on the server side? How does that make sense for the the content at Um I think also, you know, something to, like any new technology is, you know, with the various platforms for Swift on the server side, you know, what, which one will kind of like establish itself as the leader? Like if they're, where do you make the investment in content? Um, right. I think those are all things to consider. 
Have you guys done any content related to like open source Swift, like uh, explaining it or how to get started? Or I mean, that, that might be more on sort of a free tutorial side. Um, you know, obviously not like a paid book or anything like that. But have you guys done anything like that or or thought about doing anything like that? Um, that's a good question. I don't know of anything off the top of my head. I would have to double check on the site to to know for sure. So let's talk uh, more about Right Wing Lick then. Um, I wanted to just learn about sort of like what is it, what's the experience like? I mean, you guys are a big part of the community. A lot of people um, go to your website to learn. Uh, at my meetups, we always recommend people go to your website to learn, um, whether it's, you know, purchasing a book or, um, you know, uh, looking at a free tutorial. Um, and your community is pretty large. I mean, I mean, but what's like, can you give us a little, like, what's the landscape? There's like, there's Ray, and obviously you're now um, associate editor in chief. Like, are, is it like a huge company or is it like mostly a lot of part-time people contributing? Um, and yeah, like what, what's that? What's like the, what does that look like? So Raysware is the company behind RayWarnerlich.com, and there there are full time people who work for Raysware. It's it's not many. Like I'd say, it's on the scale of about ten ish, maybe give or take. I don't know exactly how many, but there are full time people who work for for Raysware, the company behind the site. On top of that, the majority of the contributors that you then either see in videos or read their work in tutorials are are um, essentially, I guess, you know, contractors to Raiseware. And that okay. then represents the larger group of people we call the RayWonderlick.com team. How did it all get started? I mean, obviously, it must have been Ray. It's named after him. Like, you know, and yeah, how did it get started? What was like the initial, was it um, Mac development? Was it game development? Oh, I, it's, I think it's, I think it, it was, yes, it was, so it was Ray writing tutorials. Um, and I think it was possibly in specifically iOS game tutorials. Um, and then, you know, a couple people that Ray knew started helping him out writing additional tutorials. Um, I think, you know, who we were talking about earlier, Matthias, I think he was one of the earliest people helping Ray out um, writing some of that content. And then, um, you know, over time, kind of like just more and more people started getting involved. The work, the workflow around how a tutorial gets produced, um, you know, that evolved, that needed more people supporting it. Um and, you know, as the site grew, more and more people came on to write tutorials, edit tutorials, um, things like that. Is there any interesting um, tools or technologies you guys created internally to help manage that? I remember reading a, I think a tutorial or maybe um, Nick Pringle was talking about it, about like this um, internal technology or tool that you guys use to manage like updating the books or something like that. I can't remember because it must be really hard. Like you have, let's say a tutorial, it's a really popular tutorial. It's written in uh, Swift two. And, you know, now you have to, you have to um, 
you know, Swift 3 comes out and now you have to remember like, okay, what are all our Swift, you know, two tutorials and which ones are the most popular and like, should we migrate it? And then like, it seems like a big ordeal. How do you guys manage that kind of stuff? So I think one thing, you know, just a general recommendation I'll put out, you know, to the listeners is, is, you know, any team that you're considering joining is like, you know, think of the people who are on that team already. And can you imagine yourself working with them? And for me, it's like, you know, I just recently switched my full-time gig from a Weber to WBDL. And, um, you know, it's just been the, the, the WBDL team has been like one people are experts in different areas of iOS that like I have no experience in. And it's like a whole new world to then be able to learn from them. Um, and then just be surrounded by great people to help pull me up and help me grow professionally and, you know, reach out to me and, and really just be there to like help the team achieve success however it can. And the same thing is in common with the RayWonderlick.com team that, um, you know, it's, it's a group of, a group of just passionate people who are there on the mission to publish the best content possible to help others learn what they're good at iOS development. And then that, you know, I think once that team is in place with that orient, oriented around that goal, that, you know, the rest happens easily where it's, you know, we have essentially some of our work, just give you some of kind of like the behind the scenes of, of how does a free Ray Wonderlick tutorial get published? Yeah. There's a, um, there's people on the team who are, there's role, different roles on the team. So some people have the role of author. And they are, that's what they joined the team to do. That's what they tried out. We have tryouts for the team. So they tried out to be an author. They passed the tryout. They, now they write tutorials. Um, there are also other roles on the team as a tech editor. So that's somebody who tried out. And their main role is to ensure that the tutorial that's written, they will review the tutorial for total technical accuracy. And that's against both standards we have, like specific to Ray Wonderlick. That's then also, you know, best practices for iOS, things like that. So it'll go through, those are the tech editors. There's another role of editor. Editors is a less technical role, but it's, there are like the English experts. So they're going to, they're going to review and edit the article from a gra grammatical standpoint. From there, it goes into final pass edit. A final pass editor, they're kind of like, they're like the last stop, um, of person to really make sure that tutorial is in top shape before it goes out to our readers. And they, they have to be good at everything. They have to be good at like the, making sure it's good from a technical standpoint. Did the work, did the, you know, is all the metadata associated with the post correct? Is it, you know, categorized correctly? Is it optimized for SEO? Um, has everybody else done their job with that tutorial getting out? And then finally, um, the last phase, uh, the other role on the team is, the team lead. And that's the position I just left. And all these people work together um, in a workflow that starts with the author outlining a tutorial. And they'll work so the author and the final pass editor will get matched up on a topic. And that topic could be anything from something that the audience requested to something that somebody just wants to write about because they're passionate about it and kind of got like a couple plus ones from the team that it could be a good piece of content for the site. They'll outline that topic, and after a period of time, once it's outlined, 
the FP, the final pass editor will sign off on it and it will move to sample project phase. All of something all of our tutorials have in common is that the tutorial has you start with a pro, uh, you start with um, the tutorial basically you go from a starter project to a final project and the tutorial walks you through the steps and explains what you're doing to like build that final thing whether it's a game or you know uh, a UI that uses split view controller. So this second phase is where the author has to create their starter project and the final project. And again, the final pass editor will review it and make sure it it's, you know, doesn't have any compiler errors, for example, and matches our own Swift style guide. And eventually then the author will get sign off to then move into the writing phase. And then they'll write the tutorial around the starter project and the outline, finish that, and then it moves into the three editing phases I was talking about, tech edit, grammatical edit, and then final pass overall edit. Wow, that is a big production that you guys are doing. And, and these are free tutorials. Yep, those are free tutorials. So, you know, I think, um, you know, one, everybody is, is passionately aligned with our goal of like helping others learn. So, you know, that I think is what drives everybody to do the best work that they can. Um, from there, you know, how does that then, you know, it's not like running a website that gets so many hits is free. Like, you know, something has to pay the bills. And, um, you know, often like I think people will will come to come to the site and then, you know, we want them to become subscribers and get access to all of our video content which is just as good as the written tutorials, but then you can actually are walking through the code with somebody in the video that they're showing you how to code it in addition to just having to read it. Um, there's screencasts for like even more just, you know, tidbit type information that, that's a little more quick hit than a full series, in-depth series um, of video tutorials. And then there's yeah. then there's the thing you better read, then there's the store that you read about in the ad read with with all the books that are available for purchase, right? And then well, you guys also have the podcast and you have uh, RW DevCon. I mean, you guys do a lot of stuff. And I, I and I've said it before, um, that book, the um, iOS Apprentice one. I mean, that changed my life. That really helped me uh, improve my um, just yeah, like get over. For me, there was like this kind of initial sort of hurdle I had to get over and that book really helped me get over that that first hurdle and um, even after like a year of of like full-time like doing development I think I even went back and like did one of the uh, the, uh, the tutorial because there's like four apps you build in there and then obviously I've, I've looked at so many of your guys tutorials and watched videos and I mean, you guys really do a lot so thank you so much for that um, real quick uh, you were talking about wanting to expand your base I wonder, it's probably going to be a big undertaking, but maybe you guys have considered doing um, translating, like translating the tutorials um, into other languages. That's a, uh, that's a great point. Yeah, and um, it, it, I'm not sure where we stand on like undertaking that effort. There, we I think, though, we have even seen people do this, and wow. then they link to um, the tutorial, like their, their, you know, translated tutorial in the comment threads for one of our tutorials. So, you know, I think that is like a really powerful mission that resonates with a lot of people, which is, you know, 
educating others on stuff that they're good at and like to do. So even if they're, right. they're we're having people translate our tutorials or maintain maintain old tutorials that they're not even on the team, like you know, it's 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 powerful. Uh, one thing that I've heard of uh, people doing, uh, I don't know if we've ever done it at my meetups, is like actually having um, a Ray Wenderlich like meetup. So let's say it's a Learn Swift LA meetup. Everybody will get together and we'll go through a, a RayWenderlich.com like tutorial at that particular meetup. Um, so that's also something to think about. Um, or, you know, you can imagine having Ray Wenderlich uh, meetups around the world. Um, okay, so the last two two questions. Um, if I wanted to join the uh, Ray Wonderlick team, how would I how would I do that? Not me in particular, uh, the me in general. But if someone wanted to join, how would they do that? They can send an email to apply at raywonderlick.com. Okay, and you guys are always like open to getting more authors, and obviously there's like I remember there was a little ad going around for the podcast host. So like you guys will obviously have like job postings, job postings, but are there positions that you're kind of always like open to like receiving applicants for, like for instance, author? Yep. So the two roles that you can apply for are, would be an author or a tech editor. The um, final pass editors are kind of people promoted within who have already done a good job, but um, there's tryouts involved with both, you know, so we want to keep the, you know, the quality of the team high, um, it's good. You should be, you know, you should have some experience as an iOS developer. It's not, it's not a, it's not a position for somebody brand new to programming. Okay. Um, but yeah, we are always looking for good people. And then something you just, so changing just quick, uh, I wanted to mention something you were talking about the Ray Wonderlick meetups. Um, you know, the, I want to talk about RW DevCon. That's the conference that Ray puts on. And this um, might be, I think, the fourth year running coming up in 2018. And that, I would even call that, like, as the grand meetup for Ray Wonderlake. Oh, definitely. It's a it's a unique conference in that the, um, the uh, setup of the conference is, isn't like you're going to sessions and just hearing somebody speak. It's actually you're going to go to the session and do a tutorial with the person presenting right and it's not so i mean they're not just and they're not reusing content from the website it's a new topic that this person has come up with just for rw devcon oh cool okay that's awesome yeah i love the idea of a more interactive conference um you know the presentation style conferences are cool but um, i love the more interactive stuff and that definitely um seems like that's what the rw devcon is all about and then, so Ray roped me in for 2018 to, I'm actually giving a talk on test-driven development, and it'll be my first conference talk. Oh, cool. Congratulations. Good luck with that. Yeah, I hope to go to conferences more. I uh, emceed at Swift Summit, and I got invited to emcee uh, potentially this other conference called Swift Fest in Boston. So we'll see how that goes. Um, so I love the idea of emceeing more conferences, and one day... Um, I'd love to speak at a conference too. I mean, I've done a lot of like meetups where I'm teaching people, uh, but one day I'd love to be on the big stage. Like, uh, yeah, just like at any big conference and giving a talk on something I find interesting. Um, okay, last question, because um, I always really want to try to bring it back to Swift, and I think this is something interesting, um, is how has um, Ray Wenderlich, at least in your in your eyes, Change, not, not the person, raywinderlake.com changed uh, because of Swift. So Swift comes out, 
and 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 how has have you been able to see or have you heard of like how the site has changed because of the language? So you're asking how has the site changed because of the language? Well, the language that the tutorials are published in changed. Yeah, for sure. I understand that, but like I feel like this had to have been like an explosion of people interested in the site, right? More people maybe coming to the site. Um, has you made, and you mentioned, for instance, like the language changes a lot or it was at first. So is there anything else there that um, you recall? Um, yeah, so I wasn't part of the conversations early on, like when Swift was announced, but it was really quickly that, it was a, it was very quick that um, we got. I was on the Ray Wonderlic team at that point when Swift was announced, and uh, he, he sent out an email. Essentially, I think it might have been that same week as WWDC, that was like, okay, you know, we're gonna Swift is here. You know, all new content on the site is gonna be written in Swift. So, wow. start. You know, he basically just kind of challenged everybody to get up to speed on that. Um, so you know that was the impact felt right off the bat. The something we still have to deal with today is the fact that there is um, this huge library of old tutorials written in Objective C or even wow. outdated versions of Swift that we have to update. So when when you're an author and you publish a tutorial on the site, uh, one of the team policies is that you have to then maintain that tutorial for six months after its publication. So that's anything wow. from like. You know, anything around our policies or community, you know, tool change, like, um, you know, compatibility with tools, whatever. Like, you have to make sure that tutorial is, like, represents the best, the latest and greatest um, for six months after its publication. But then what do you do about all these old, like, the, anything beyond that threshold? Right. We have, a, we have a separate workflow for what we call tutorial updates where um, it's a little more, slightly more streamlined than when you're writing new content. But basically what we'll do is, um, you know, we'll task team members to update tutorials on the site that might be, might, you know, are popular um, or for whatever reason, you know, we should get up to date. So, so that does happen. But again, that's like, you know, you're not going to, you still, we're still chipping away at, the, at a big, library of, of legacy tutorials while all the while while you know the latest and greatest also still continues to change as new versions of swift come out wow and um is is swift like the swift and ios is that like the larger sort of product at uh, at the site i mean i know you guys do um don't you do like some android or non-mobile stuff even or is swift like the the big thing at that site or um, is Swift the big thing? Well, I mean, I don't want to ask like numbers and stuff like that, but like, uh, is that what you guys mostly focus on? Is like Swift and iOS development? Yeah, so iOS development is is definitely the focus in terms of like if you were to look at pure number of tutorials that come out. Um, there's two tutorials that come out a week for iOS development in Swift. Um, like I mentioned earlier, we stop. Wow, two a week. Yep, two a week come out. Yep. Wow. And so that was part of my responsibility as iOS team lead was to keep that pipeline filled um, of, you know, content that was, was you know, widely interesting and um, stuff was worth writing about. Um, and it, it really is a spectrum, too, because a lot of people come to the site 
um, that are, you know, very new to iOS programming, that they're coming there to learn that. But, on, you know, we just released a tutorial. Um, I think it came out last week by um, one of our authors. And it was on, it's, on a, it's on a framework called Tesseract, which is OCR, Optical Character Recognition. Wow. And it's like, you know, that's a pretty niche tool. Um, but it's also something that, like, doesn't have a lot of good, you know, examples online about. So if you are going to search for, like, you know, Tesseract tutorial... Um, or even like iOS OCR, um, you know, we're going to be one of those, we're going to be like that, uh, you know, that resource that comes up early on, you know, high up in your search results, um, which is more of a niche advanced technology. So we got to, you know, the content that comes out has to span that spectrum of new people as well as topics for advanced people. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's incredible to go all the way from something like, you know, beginner tutorial or iOS apprentice all the way up to, you know, advanced uh, Swift topics or advanced um, iOS framework or UI kit or, you know, or, or any advanced you know, Apple platform or Apple SDK, you know, frameworks. It's really incredible. What, what do you find? Is it, a, is it a good mix of people coming to the site from beginner to advanced? Or is it, um, does it skew more towards the advanced or beginner? Or, you know, feel free to not answer if, if that's something you don't want to. I, you know, I personally, off the top of my head, don't actually know. I think this will be one of the things I'm going to look into with my new role as associate um, editor-in-chief is, is, you know, trying to quantify that question, uh, quantify the answer to that question. Like, I don't know, some ba- some just like call it napkin math. Like I would think there's a lot more people trying to get started with iOS development than there mm-hmm. are on the more advanced side. Like right. just purely based on like, again, you know, people trying to get into the field versus people who have been in the field and want advanced content. Now, that being said though, like I th- still, you know, what I was talking about with the OCR tutorials that like, um, I think you do, I think the content across the spectrum has, serves a place and that, you know, probably, you know, there's, you could come up with some probably, probably forecasting about how to write, have the right balance of content across difficulty. Um, but I think there's, there's a place for both a, a total different area where I think the site has had an impact on the community, um, has been with regard to like, you know, what are the standards for Swift style? You know, this, oh, that's right. This was something that like when Swift came out, like we really didn't get much guidance at all from Apple on was like, okay, you know, how do you, what is good Swift code? Um, you know, what, what are those kind of like, what for, you know, what are those things that should be standard from code base to code base in Swift? And even now, like I did just verify this in a Chrome incognito window, but like if you search for Swift style guide in Google, um, the top result will be the Ray Wonderlich Swift style guide. And, you know, that right, it there is, um, it, it serves the purpose really like to give our authors and editors a, um, source of truth for style in our tutorials from tutorial to tutorial about how Swift should look and be, and be written. But then like at a Weber, we adopted that style guide as our own style guide as well for the yeah. code base. Yeah. I think we did too. When I, when I was at farmers. So, um, 
you know, I think that that's kind of just, you know, one un, a surprising way that like, you know, stuff we are doing at Ray Wonderlake then goes to serve the community at large. Yeah. Like the spectrum of, of things that you're producing and then the spectrum of like who it, who it affects or how it affects people. It's really, really awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much for, for being a part of, um, a part of the team and, and doing all that work and continuing to do it. I really look forward to um, seeing what you guys do in the future and who knows, maybe we'll be able to collaborate more and uh, yeah, I just, I wish you guys the best of luck. Okay. So um, Andy, we've reached the end of the episode. We are uh, we're over time and uh, I know that uh, you have some things to do. So I want, I don't want to keep you for much longer. Um, so yeah, just thank you so much for, for coming on the show today, sharing your story with us. You know, starting out learning programming well your dad brought home the IBM compatible PC and uh, you know had that basic book and you started kind of messing around with it and playing games and then you started actually like trying to program you print you print something to the to the console I guess uh, and then you had this Centris 610 that you were messing around with and you kind of got hooked early on to, to programming and you your first computer science class was in high school, your AP comp sci, and you were learning Pascal, and then you liked it so much that you took the class over again when they switched it to C++, which I just realized, C++, if you took both of the plus symbols together and smashed them together, it kind of looks like a sharp symbol, which is weird. Uh, and then you just by, um, oh yeah, then you, you joined um, University of Delaware to get your bachelor's degree in computer science, and by coincidence, you uh, went to the computer lab and like got a job there while like they were doing this Mac upgrade. You know, they were upgrading all these computers from the old Mac OS to the new Mac OS. And um, it sort of set you on a bit of a, a course. At least you had this perspective, um, a new perspective on uh, what a computer maybe could be or what it could feel like. And then uh, you graduate uh, from, from, from Delaware and you go to Vanguard and you have another coincidence where you, you, when you joined Vanguard, you did some Java server side development for a while, but then the, um, iOS SDK comes out right along the time you guys are already exploring new technologies and you just have been doing iOS development ever since when the iPhone, you know, iOS SDK or iPhone SDK originally was launched. Um, and yeah, it sounds like you, you left. Uh, Vanguard after a little while and you were at Aweber for a while it sounds like um, uh, am I right for maybe more than five years or, uh, or just about four years okay yeah so and then you recently joined um, Warner Brothers Digital Labs where you are now and you're doing Swift uh, full-time there and you are uh, now the associate editor uh, in chief I believe uh, at raywonderlick.com and you're just continuing on the mission of helping more and more people learn about Swift and iOS development. And yeah, so thank you so much. Oh, and you're going to be doing your first conference talk at RWDevCon in April 2018. So good luck with that. Thank you. And yeah, so thank you so much for sharing the story with us. And I look forward to speaking with you again soon. Yeah, thanks a lot. It's been, it's been great talking with you. And that's the show, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you enjoyed listening to the Swift Coders podcast. Feel free to share the show with a friend, leave a review on iTunes, or recommend us on Overcast. 
If you have any questions, comments, or just want to say hi, contact me on Twitter. Until next time, go swiftly, my friends. Thank you.